You're listening to Understanding Joel, a podcast where we try to unpack and understand different books of the Bible. And our focus in this particular series is the book of Joel, which is often overlooked in terms of prophetic literature. Uh, As with many of the minor prophets, the book of Joel is strange to us. It's written in a different time. Yeah, the, the prophet is referring to events that we're not entirely sure about. It's, it sounds so alien to our sensibilities. And we often wonder, do the minor prophets have anything to offer to us today? And I would say, absolutely. That's why I'm doing this series. The prophet Joel has much to speak to our modern culture Today, and that is the power of the Word of God, that it, even though it is situated in certain times and places, it echoes throughout all of history because God is unchanging. And the truths that He unveils in Joel are very instructive for the church today. And there are things that He brings up themes about judgment and repentance and salvation and mercy and hope and restoration are as relevant today as they were in Joel's time. Now, the prophet Joel is kind of shrouded in mystery. We don't know too much about him. We don't even really know when to date this book. But we do know that Joel, as a prophet, is a spokesperson for God. That's what the prophets did. They were God's mouthpieces. And they spoke messages of warning, of impending judgment, and also of future hope to the people of God. So they serve a very important function in the life of Israel. Now, what we see in Joel is a warning, a warning about the judgment of God, but also a promise of hope and restoration after God's judgment. And if you want to understand the book of Joel, you have to understand one particular phrase, and that's the phrase, the day of the Lord. Now, you might have heard That phrase echoed in Isaiah or in various New Testament books or all throughout really the Old Testament in general. And this phrase, the day of the Lord, refers to God's decisive action in history, either through judgment or salvation or both, in which he brings his eternal good purposes to pass. So it's a decisive action where he fulfills his plans either through judgment or salvation or often both, oftentimes in sequence. Now, what's interesting about the day of the Lord is that it doesn't just refer to one day, but it's, it's also a concept. It's, it's, it can refer to multiple events throughout the Bible, and that's what we see in the scriptures. We see on the one hand that there is a climactic final day of the Lord. That is when God judges the nations of the world and he saves his people and he brings an age of blessing into the entire creation. So that's this climactic day of the Lord that we see at the end of the book of Revelation that we see in Isaiah 66. It's this time of renewal and judgment. It's really the end of history when God puts all things right. But there are also days of the Lord that precede that. These are little foretaste, little breadcrumbs leading up to the main event. And we see these all throughout uh, the Old Testament. So these are smaller events of God's judgment and salvation that are pointing us forward to that final climactic event where God will finally defeat death and restore 
creation. Now, the particular day of the Lord that we see in chapter one of Joel is a plague of locusts. Now, we're going to see a few days of the Lord. We're actually going to see two. The first one, again, like I said, in chapter one is this plague of locusts. But then in chapter two, we're going to see a day of the Lord in which an invading army comes into Israel from the north. So a plague of locusts and an invading army are the two judgments that God is going to bring. But those two judgments will also lead to repentance and then restoration. And that's an important pattern for us to see. So let's look at Joel chapter 1, where we hear about this plague of locusts. And we're going to unpack the message of Joel in this first day of the Lord. This is Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, O you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes, is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan, the herd of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them, even the flocks of sheep suffer. And to you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. So here we see a description of this first day of the Lord. A swarm of locusts comes in like a military army, and strips the land bare, and causes all of Israel to mourn. There is no grain or drink to offer at the temple, which signifies that God has temporarily cut off his people in order to get their attention. And this is an agrarian society. This is their economy in ruins. And there's no joy in the land. This is God's wake-up call to a nation of prosperity, to recognize that everything they have comes from the mercy of God. And Joel says the appropriate response to this national disaster is for Israel to cry out and lament 
and ask God for mercy. We often find prosperity to be a kind of temptation to trust in our riches, to trust in trust our security in the things that we own rather than in God. And Joel, what we see is God has blessed the faithfulness of Israel, and yet their faithfulness has transformed into an entitlement, and that entitlement has led them astray and led them not to depend upon the Lord for everything that they have. They've become haughty and, and prideful. Now, we don't exactly know the, the specific sin that brought upon, brought upon them this judgment, and we have to be careful to attach specific sins to national disasters. So Joel doesn't make an explicit connection here. But don't miss the point. God is sovereign over all things. It's not as though these locusts escaped from a cage somewhere and God couldn't get to them in time. No, God is the Lord of all creatures, of all creation. These locusts do not go anywhere apart from the sovereign decree of God. So God has a purpose, even if it's inscrutable for us. Now, that doesn't mean that Israel's response of mourning is inappropriate. So just because God is sovereign doesn't mean that we can't mourn over tragic things or we can't express our bewilderment at the fact that God is doing something that we don't quite understand. So Joel says, call a public mourning period, call public lament, cry out to God for mercy. It is possible both to feel the sadness and tragedy of life while maintaining a robust trust in the good and sovereign purposes of God. And it's the acknowledgement of God's sovereignty that means he's the only one that can help. I mean, why would you pray to God if he can't actually control the world? You need a God who's all sovereign and all powerful in order to trust that he can actually do something in your situation. Now, this is something that is important to recognize. It's something that's jolting to our modern context. Jesus deals with this question of why do these seemingly inexplicable disasters happen? Right? A tsunami strikes, uh, there's an earthquake, there's tornadoes, there's all, all kinds of natural disasters. And we can't on the one hand say that God has nothing to do with them because that would be denying his sovereignty. But, but we also want to recognize that, that sometimes God's purposes aren't immediately clear to us. Now, as I mentioned, Jesus deals with this in Luke chapter 13. There's a, there's a crowd that asks about a particular event. This tower at Siloam falls on a group of Galileans. And it's this massive tragedy. And the crowds ask Jesus, did the Galileans die because they were worse sinners than the people who survived? It's a reasonable question. I'm sure all of us have asked that at some point. And Jesus responds emphatically, no, don't think that these Galileans were worse sinners than you or worse sinners than the survivors. And, and that's how justice works out, that the bad people are the ones who get killed and the good people survive. He says, that, that's not the lesson to take from this. The lesson to take from this is that you're going to die one day. And you don't know when a tower is going to fall on you. And you need to understand that God calls you to repent. You need to turn from your sin. You need to make sure that your allegiance is to the Lord. Otherwise, your days will be cut short and then you will have to face your maker. And so when we look at the natural disasters, we have the same mentality, or at least that's what God wants us to think about, that unless we repent, we will likewise perish. That 
that the natural disasters in the world remind us that we're not in control. And if we're not in control, someone else is, and that someone is God, and we have to reckon with that fact. And if we don't reckon with it when he graciously gives us these warnings of our mortality, then we're in for a lot of trouble. But when these unexpected things happen, when a pandemic hits us, one thing we should recognize is our own mortality. That we do not control the destiny of our lives. And that this is an opportunity to reckon with our souls before God. Have we repented? We often only ascribe God's sovereignty over death when people die peacefully in their sleep, surrounded by those they love. But that's only a small percentage of deaths for people. Oftentimes, death is painful and excruciating and a long, drawn-out process. But we can't simply say that God isn't sovereign over that either. God is the one who is in control of our lives. We don't know the purpose, but we do know that he's sovereign. And that what he has charged us to think about is not what is God doing in this moment exactly. But have we reckoned with our own mortality, our sin and guilt before God? Are we ready for the day of the Lord? Will we confess Christ as our Lord with joy or will we weep? Will we find ourselves welcomed into God's kingdom or or will we find ourselves cut off and outside the gates? This is a pressing question that we can't afford to leave unanswered.